0: All right. Well, greetings, Christ Covenant Church. Uh, Pastor Ventura here and our chief musician, Joe Stout, also with us. And uh, we wanted to record this conversation to uh, really um, elaborate and extend the conversation that began uh, at midweek service regarding family worship. So uh, Joe taught for about 30 minutes on uh, family worship 24-7, I think was the talk. And Joe, you got about um, I think you said a third through your yeah. notes. Is that right? Right. About that. <laughs> about that. So, uh, see, this is why I, I, I have done this enough times to know that, uh, I'm only going to get through about a third of my notes. So I only bring with me a third of my notes into the, <laughs> the <whole bit. laughs> uh, so today we're going to try to, uh, build on that. And, uh, Joe, why don't you, you just start us off by kind of rehearsing briefly, what you did cover in that lesson, and then we can start getting into some of the particulars, the things that you uh, didn't cover in your notes. Absolutely.
1: Um, so, yeah, I don't have as much experience as you, Pastor Ventura, so I uh, I uh, naively thought I'd get through everything. Actually, I, I knew I had more than I would get through. What I wanted to get to have a little bit more time for, and I think what the uh, the desire of those who were there was a little bit more of the practical behind... Um, what does family worship actually look like? Um, but to to recap, uh, there were really just two main headings, and, and the first was the why: why do we do family worship, and why should that family worship be family worship twenty four seven? And then 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 we get into the how, into um, uh, how we actually uh, apply this, and the various different uh, seasons we all find ourselves in, whether you're uh, unmarried whether you're married with the kids are grown or whether you've got a bunch of little ones or a chaotic household full of kids but um, the where we be, where we got the why and and there's a variety of ways you could get the why this is just uh, this is just A-Y, um, but it, uh, I, I talked about this passage from uh, Genesis 18, two passages really, one from Genesis 18 uh, and one from Exodus 32. Um, to briefly summarize, the passage in Genesis 18 is the uh, famous story of God talking with uh, Abraham saying, I'm going to destroy Um, Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great wickedness, and Abraham walking walking God from destroying it to not destroying it if there's at least fifty people, uh, fifty righteous people in Sodom, because Abraham says, God, you wouldn't destroy um, the righteous with the unrighteous, would you? And and God says, No, I wouldn't do that. So if there's fifty people, I won't destroy it. And and Abraham comes back and says, Well, what if there's forty five? And God says, Okay, I won't destroy it if there's forty five. And and they have this they have this um, very, uh, Abraham has this very deferential conversation with God where he finally uh, talks God down to just 10, if there's just 10 righteous people in um, Sodom and Gomorrah, then God will not destroy it, and God agrees. And then, of course, there's not even 10 righteous people, and so God destroys it. But the idea is that um, Abraham was a a counselor of types to, uh, to God. And then there's a uh, kind of an almost an even more famous passage in uh, Exodus 32, where Moses, where God is fed, fed up with the Israelites. He is going to destroy them um, and give, basically take his covenant blessings and, and put it on Moses. And, and Moses actually says, um, uh, it says, Moses pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty arm? Uh, Then he says, um, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Then it says in verse 14 So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. King James says the Lord repented. Uh, New American Standard said the Lord changed his mind. (laughs) Um, So we established on Wednesday night that the first principle is that God is immutable. He doesn't change, but that in a sense, Scripture is teaching us here that God invites us to um, be his counselors. He invites us to plead with him. Uh, James tells us that the prayers, the fervent prayers of a righteous man, um, they accomplish much. They do a lot of of good. uh, And we can presume that means they do a lot of good with God. And so the why behind family worship um, is that God condescends to us and he asks us to come to him and counsel him and give him counsel well, you might say these are two of the greatest Old Testament heroes um, that ever lived. I'm just, I'm just me. I'm not Abraham. I'm not like Moses. Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. Does that apply to me? Well, then the next why was, came from Matthew uh, chapter 11, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And he's saying that of those born of women, there is none greater up to this point than John the Baptist, and yet, in the kingdom of in, in my kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, he will uh, even the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John the Baptist. So we know John the Baptist was greater than Abraham. We know he was greater than Moses. And in this new kingdom that we're in right now, um, we are better in some sense um, than uh, even John the Baptist. As 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 least of the least of these has to apply to somebody like me. And so the why behind family worship is that in this new kingdom that we are in, this new kingdom that is spreading throughout the world, we are considered greater than the, than the greatest of the, old, of the old kingdom, of the old covenant. And so if God w- was willing to have Abraham and Moses be his counselors, how much more should we be his counselors? Um, and what is counsel other than coming to God in worship? And so family worship is the way in which um, individual worship spreads out throughout a household. Um, so if you are a household of one, your family worship might just look like your own individual uh, daily devotions. But if you're a household of two, then family worship means it can't just be you and God only. It you you are now in covenant with covenant with that other person that's in your household, or if you have children, those children are within your covenant. And so you, uh, you have the duty um, and are actually qualified to bring your family. um, If you're a head of household or uh, yeah, if you're, especially if you're a head of household, you have the duty um, and obligation to bring those, um, those uh, people under your care along with you uh, in family worship. Um, And so Hmm. that was kind of the why. And then So so let's shift from the why, uh, unless, Aaron, you wanted to uh, add anything to the why would your family worship to begin with.
0: Yeah, let me add something in here. So I think a lot of parents and just individuals, whether you're thinking about your daily devotions or leading your family, I think it is extremely easy to just feel like there are more important, urgent, or pressing things to do. um, Mm. And therefore... People um, don't set aside time, whether for themselves, just to read and pray or meditate in the silence of the early morning or at evening or whenever it is, because there's always there's always something else to be done. It's like I got to go to the gym or I got to brush my teeth and I got to make breakfast. I got to take care of this kid there's always going to be some other thing pressing you. And, um, this, um, these are very interesting proof texts that you chose to start and surprising to me when you're talking about family worship that you started here, but I think there, um, I, I agree with what you are saying. And I think this helps with the why on those days where you feel like there are other things more important to do is that, um, a lot of Christians don't realize that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and that when you close your eyes and kneel down and you pray to God, you are ascending. Your spirit is ascending to where you actually are, where our spirit is as the body of Christ. And that the sense in which we're greater than John the Baptist and Abraham and Moses is that when they died, they went to Abraham's bosom. They went down to shale. This is where David's like, I'm going to go down to shale. And after The resurrection, after the ascension, after Pentecost, when the Spirit is given, there is power now that the saints have received the kingdom. This is what Daniel uh, 2 and Daniel 7 is prophesying. So, when someone is born again, they're baptized, they're added to the church, they believe on Jesus, they might not know very much about the Bible. They've never read the Bible. They just know Jesus is Lord. But they have now been assimilated into the body of Christ, which reigns from heaven, and now it is actually the prayers, the songs of the saints. You see this in Revelation that actually are the wheel of the world that turn the events of history. And we don't, because we can't see it, we don't see uh, the Lordship of Christ manifest and having all these righteous laws and judgments right now. Um, it's very easy to feel like doing family worship is an exercise for just me to like, get through my day well. Where in reality, it is what Moses and Abraham and the prophets are doing. It is intercession on behalf of your little town. Mm-hmm. Like what is stopping Lewis County or Washington State from being destroyed? Well, it's the fact that there are a lot more than 10 righteous people here. I think there are there are many hundreds and thousands. And it's when those praises are offered up to God and God hears the um Uh, prayers and songs of our children that keeps him from destroying uh, Washington State or Olympia or Seattle. So I think that helps bolster the why when you recognize, Mm -hmm. hey children, um, just like we go to heaven each Sunday and we lift our hearts to the Lord, uh, we can have this similar kind of sanctuary experience now and we are storming the gates of hell Mm -hmm. as we're singing the Psalms together, praying together. And, you know, as a pastor, this is supposed to be my job, but it's very easy for us to just forget that prayer is powerful. Worship is mm-hmm. powerful because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, as Ephesians says. Any other thoughts or follow ups on that?
1: No, I think you should just take it from here. Good job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So so if that's the principle. Um, maybe now let's speak to some of the the methods or the practical what what did you want to get into next in your notes absolutely no i I, I love uh, that
1: is a that's a very powerful uh, uh, that's a very powerful addition to what I was saying and i'm I'm excited about just just getting out there and r- just remembering when we do this because there is a sense in which you're buffeting the body when you do it um, it doesn't always you don't always feel the glory and like you don't uh, it was like the, I saw I saw a meme and it was this pastor and it showed this this soldier like protecting the, their pastor from from the arrows of the world. And it was 70 uh, year old dispelator ladies prayers. You know, it was just like the, it was God is not he doesn't care if your theology is all what it should be. Um, if you are one of his saints, you have access to his sanctuary. He hears your prayers and the world changes because of it. So wow, what a what yes. a what an amazing um, opportunity we have um, t- to go and lead our families uh, in in this worship. And so, um, th- so starting with the how. So if we want to if we want to know how to to worship God, um, Deuteronomy has a couple of portions where uh, it's actually specifically um, we have the Shema, which is "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength." So that's like, that was the most famous, uh, that was the most well-known, that was the John 3.16 passage for Jews. Um, and the, the, the verse that follows right after that says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Um, and then he says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So he says, in your house, outside of your house, you're talking about these things. Uh, first thing in the morning, last thing uh, before the day is over, you're talking about these things. And it's not you're not just you're not just saying a prayer in the morning and a prayer in the evening. It's like you're starting your day, and that is the that is the driving force behind life. It's not the only thing you talk about if if you're working on an engine. It doesn't have to be that you're quoting Bible verses to, you know, the Bible's not going to tell you how to take apart an engine, but you can take apart that engine to the glory of God, and that is worship in and of itself. But um, when you have little ones, when you have a wife, um, or even if it's just you on your own, these are the things you shall either be teaching to those who have been uh, entrusted to you, or just reminding yourself, so much of the gospel is just reminding yourself. You need to you need to start your day with this. You need to end your day with this. If you're in your home or with your, if you're out of your home, this is the driving force behind whatever it is you're talking about. Um, and then um, and then it goes. It says, "You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Um, uh, just interesting, we don't, we don't follow um, the practical sense of what the Jews would do, where they would actually tie literal, um, the literal words of God and, and hang them on their foreheads. But we have a baptism now, right? And that baptism has brought us into the sanctuary. Uh, in, in, its, in its, a, it's a spiritual name. It's given us a new name, the name of Christ. Um, and whether you're a Baptistic or you're Presbyterian, we all agree that the forehead needs to be covered with water. So you either need to be completely dunked under, so your forehead is covered, or you need to have the water poured on your head or sprinkled on your head, so that you get a new name on your forehead. And so Christians need to be reminding themselves, their wives, their uh, their children, whose name is on your forehead. And that is the that's the that's uh, in the stout household. That's one of the driving questions that that um, that kind of directs almost all of our family worship. Well, whose name is on your forehead? Do you belong in the presence of God? Uh, because I see the name of Jesus on your forehead, and therefore you have every right and privilege as a king and a priest to be in His presence. Um, and so that's that's this Deuteronomy uh, six is talking about. Is talking. We can apply that now as our baptisms are um, are reminding us of of who we belong to. Um, and then write them on the doorpost mm. of your house and on your gates. I can't remember if it was calvin but they they applied this to the gates of the city uh, that actually makes a lot more sense than each individual you know like a little picket fence putting on that gate it's it's it seems a lot more sense, like mm. like it's probably the gates of the city and then as you enter mm. in the home um the uh everybody knows okay this home is a home where christ dwells okay everybody knows this city is a city where christ is um reigning and then and then a lot of yeah. this is it's, actually it's repeated the blood in it's the blood, exactly. Right, the blood on the doorpost. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: this is kind of repeated in Deuteronomy 11, but the only thing I wanted to just to just to just bring up there is Deuteronomy 11, verse 18 says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Um, uh, and then it says, You shall teach them to your children. Uh, it says, uh, where does it go? Um Yeah, yeah. Uh, So you you lay up these words in your heart. That was the part I was looking for. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Um, And so one of the things, uh, Pastor Ventura, that you've you've really impressed upon me and upon my family is just the necessity of us intentionally guarding our souls. And so how do we guard our soul? Well, we guard our soul um, by laying up the words of Christ in our hearts and in our soul. And we do that on a daily basis. And that's one of the primary ways we, we, we are protected, um, from the world, the flesh and the devil. Um, hmm. okay. So I'm going to talk about like what we do in the stout house here in a second, but do you have anything you want to add onto that?
0: Yeah, two things. Well, one that I can think of, we'll see if the other one comes to me. Uh, Joe Rigney has this really excellent distinction that I think captures kind of the, um, the seeming impossibility of certain passages like this that seem to speak of, uh, a literal like 24-7 constant talking about God and his ways. And then the apostle does the same thing, like pray without ceasing. And you're like, okay, uh, how? Um, rejoice always. In everything, give thanks. How do I change the engine and, and do that? And he gives this really good distinction that he speaks of uh, direct Godwardness and indirect Godwardness. Mm. And um, you can think of Godwardness as just uh, your soul is um, being lifted up to God. So we all know what it's like. I think we all know what it's like, or maybe I'm the crazy one to have multiple trains of thought in our head. I think Spurgeon, it says of Spurgeon when he'd be preaching, he could be like praying for eight different people while he's preaching. So, um, I don't have that ability. Uh, um, but the voices in the head, the multiple conversations, the, um, in pop culture, it's, you know, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other kind of thing. So, We all know what it's like to have multiple things happening in our heart, our consciousness. And there's a sense in which uh, we all know what it's like to space out. So you could be like really praying in your heart, even while you are intensely uh, focusing on something or, you know, you're on autopilot, you're doing the dishes. Or for me, I'm I'm cooking eggs all the time for my pregnant wife. So I can, I cannot even be thinking about cooking the eggs and I could be praying to God and, um, you know, having my soul lifted to him. I'm being Godward. And mm-hmm. there's a form of direct Godwardness, which is kind of like what we do on Sundays, or at least what we should be doing on Sundays, uh, or what you're doing in family worship. So it's like, hey guys, we've all been being, been, uh, we should always be indirectly Godward as we're putting on our clothes and uh, taking a shower and eating our breakfast, because we're doing it with thanks um, and contentment and joy we're being indirectly godward while we're working on the task in front of us. But mm-hmm. then, uh we do this direct godwardness, and it's actually that time of direct godwardness, whether that's your personal devotional devotional time, your family worship time, that helps you to keep doing the indirect godwardness throughout the rest of the day. Um I can't remember what the other thing was. So, um Let's go ahead and get into some of the, the methods or the how the, of what family worship looks like, um, in, at least in your household, Joe.
1: Yeah, I, I, I uh, would love to do that. <clears throat> One of the things that you just made me think of was, um, you know, in the CREC circles, it's a very famous, it's a very famous uh, analogy, because I think, I think it's a Jim Wilson analogy, but it's just like, if you're a bucket and you get knocked, what's spilling out of you? Is, is it, is it God? Is it the, is it the joy of Christ? Um, Or is it, or is it all the cares of the world, the anxieties of the world? And so that indirect Godwardness is kind of like what's in your bucket when you might not actually be specifically directly thinking about, you know, holy things Um, that, that would be, it's like when you get knocked, what comes out? Uh, And that's, and that's a, uh, that's a, it's a, it's a good litmus test for, okay, Something just broke and <laughs> what's my response? Is my response spiritual? Um am I the spiritual man that Paul says I'm supposed to be or am it, or it, has my bucket just got knocked and out is coming anger and impatience and and wrath that kind of thing. Um so yeah. in, I want, in can the, I say
0: one more thing on this? Absolutely. Yes. Um The reason why it's so important for heads of households to um, attend to their souls well is because you just cannot give your children or your wife what you don't have. So it's like if you're a bundle of anxious cares, you can't actually be an agent of peacemaking and sing the songs joyfully if you don't already have that. And so like, so much of what we're going to be talking about with the how to's and the practical things. It's like, um, it's also very dangerous to do these things uh, hypocritically. So this is where like um, there are times where I know I need to lead my family. We need to set aside time to do the family worship, but I need to first get my mind right. My heart right before I can actually, require joy of my children and I think this is the the check for us as as husbands, as head of households. it's like just do not ever let yourself do something hypocritically because you're mm-hmm. actually going to turn your children off to it and you're gonna you're gonna actually be teaching hypocrisy rather than earnest prayer and worship. and if there's one thing Jesus makes very clear, he's like, I don't care if the outside of the cup is clean if the inside is filthy, and right. so it's better to have a a really messy outside of the cup. And in this in this analogy, let's say the outside of the cup is the family worship, the externals of whatever's going on. It's better for it to be very joyful chaos than very orderly and hypocritical full liturgy hour and a half of worship that's right. act, actually disgusting in in the eyes of god and having that check on your soul constantly as as the head as the leader is yeah. like the most important principle i think before any of of these um how to's that are going to change and the methods that are going to change as, as life goes on
1: yeah in in one of the <clears throat> one of the ways that god makes beauty from ashes is that when that head of household when dad loses his cool Um, and he screws up, um, to have, to, to, to humble yourself to your, your, your two year old, to, to tell your two year old, I I was wrong. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have yelled at you. Will you please forgive me? Uh, just because I'm dad doesn't mean I get to, um, sin against you with no repercussions. The same standard that applies to you applies to me. And so when, Hmm. when we screw it up, it's just an opportunity for us to remind our children, that we're sinners saved by grace and that there is no room in this home for hypocrisy. There might be sin, but that sin is going to be dealt with immediately, even if the sin. So I'm going to require as the father, I'm going to require my children to, to, to follow God's law, but I'm also going to require myself to follow God's law. Even like you were saying, um, Aaron to it almost to a, almost to a higher degree because I'm the covenant head. I'm the one that's responsible for everybody else. And because of that, Um, I can, yeah, there can be no hypocrisy, not just because children can, can sniff that out, but because you'll be forfeiting the blessing of God in in doing that. Uh, And that's really the first principle of, of family worship is cultivate your loves and cultivate your hatreds and make sure you're loving the right things yourself and hating the right things yourself. So love what is good, hate what is evil, because if you don't love what is good and if you don't actually have a stomach churning hatred of what is evil, you you won't be able to even teach your kids that. And and if one thing, if if there's one thing that scripture tells us, um, or if there's one thing that we can, that nature tells us, it's that children become like their parents in some way. (laughs) They always become, children always become like their parents. um, And so you want them to become like you when you are spiritual. And that means that you need to be guarding your own heart, your own soul, um, to make sure that you are loving what, is good, loving what is good, hating what is evil, so that you can sniff out the hypocrisy long before your kids do, um, and that you can be continually seeking forgiveness from God and from those you sin against, so that nobody thinks that this is, um, this is just something that dad is passing down that actually doesn't apply to him. It applies to him first. Yeah. And then he is the agent to make sure that it apply, that his, the rest of his household is doing this. This is where Job um, is such an example for us fathers. He's, he is praying on behalf of his children. They may have sinned in their hearts, Lord. Please forgive them of their sin. He doesn't, know their, he doesn't know their hearts, but he's still going to God, entreating God, asking God to please have mercy on his children if they've sinned against him in his heart. Because he knows that not only is he responsible for himself, but he's also responsible for his children. So, so the first thing, the first step, if you want a checklist, the first step is, are you cultivating the right loves and the right hatreds so that you can pass them on to your children? Because whatever you love and whatever you hate in some way or another is going to be passed on to your children. Um, it might be passed on in kind of a, a corrupted way, but it'll still, it'll still be passed on to your children. Um, hmm. so that's, that's the first thing, um, uh, Another thing that I think is very practical, speaking, uh, and I didn't talk about this at all on Wednesday, is um, is not um, foolishly sabotaging your your own family um, with un- unnecessary outside influences. Um, so, too often, parents um, they don't want to be legal- they don't want to be legalists. And they you know, they see legalism and legalism is constantly talked about in, in the evangelical world. Although I, I don't know if anyone actually knows what legalism is, um, but they don't want to be legalists. And so, so they, they have fairly low standards for what kind of influence the world has in their children's lives. And I would, I would be very, very cautious uh, in allowing the world to influence your children in any way that you're not directly overseeing. Um. So the obvious thing would be like, don't give your twelve year old a smartphone. Um, it, it, <laughs> you know this is uh, for all, all of our Christ Covenant Church people. If if your twelve year old has a smartphone, one of the elders is going to be talking to you about it and just like, okay, why and and how are you how are you guarding them? It's uh, I forget who it was. Was it uh, Ben Merkel that calls it a brothel in your pocket? <laughs> You know, it's like a smartphone is just like this very, very um, deadly, dangerous um, device for your children's souls. Um, and uh, don't sabotage the work that you're trying to do, faithfully trying to do by giving them um, Mark Zuckerberg in their pocket, by giving them um, Google in their pocket. That, that's the last thing that they need. Um, and so, um, that's not to say that children don't need to learn how to use the tool that is a smartphone, um, but that does mean that whatever access they are given to it needs to be incredibly restricted, because the because how how are you exactly hoping to um, to capture them with the beauty and majesty of God of Christ and His kingdom um, if they're if they're on TikTok. Or if they're, if they're constantly numbing their own brain with the, with the uh, dopamine rushes that come from social media or instant, instant information that's constantly at their, uh, at their fingertips. Um, so smartphones, just don't give your kids a smartphone. Uh, once they start driving, um, which I have a daughter that's about to start driving. Probably a good idea for them to have some time of some type of dumb phone. I know Gab uh, Gab makes a there's a Gab phone that has no internet access. That's probably a really good uh, a feature. But even then, um, if it can text, there can be all kinds of clandestine things that kids do w- that they get sucked into that they, they they didn't even go out looking for, but that the devil uses as a snare to get them. So don't don't uh, sabotage yourself as a family by letting the world in with undue. Um, Uh, influence. Um, another one of this, uh, these things is like with movies and music, um, you need to have, if, if the cliff is here, um, you don't want your kids going up to the edge of the cliff when it comes to, um, uh, media, music, uh, movies, that kind of thing. You want them 20 miles back from the edge and the edge that they're getting to that you're kind of overseeing is okay. Um, you know this this uh, this movie has th- these kinds of standards in it, and we don't need to get into the the, the specifics of the standards of music and movies. But for the most part, um, it, a good way of of asking yourself is is this a um, is this a good movie or a good uh, good music for myself to watch or to consume or my children to watch or consume? Is would you want your daughter? Um, creating this kind of content would you want would you want your kids to to hear this if they knew you had made it you know like put yourself put the put the media the context of the media in and in, in relationship to your own children uh, if i saw this movie and my daughter was in it or my son was in it is would this be a would this be a good thing or a bad thing and and um so that may or may not be a helpful way of, of thinking about this but don't don't sabotage yourself um this was another thing: um, water parks, beaches. Like for our young men, uh, we're trying to we're trying to make sure that they who are these young men are growing up in a world that is unbelievably saturated with all kinds of degenerate sex, and not you don't even have moral sta- you don't even have uh, cultural norms or cultural standards that um, will in any way protect them. Uh, and so there's just going to be some things in life that you just probably aren't going to do. Probably you're not going to go to a, to a, to a water park. Um, uh, you probably, you know, if you're going to go to the beach, I love, um, uh, Oregon coast beaches in February, <laughs> there's no one there. Um, but you just, you just have to be overseeing that. And, and that is not the kind of thing you just want the world to have unfettered access to. And here's why don't let the world teach your kids about the world. You teach your kids about the world. That's your job. Your job is to teach your kids about the world. What I am describing here is not the kind of insulation or protectiveness that that says, I don't want my kids to ever know what the world is like. It's that you want to be their teacher. Because if the world does the teaching, the world will bring all of its biases and try to corrupt your children into its way of thinking. But if you teach them about the world, then you have... Uh, you have this great opportunity to inoculate them against uh, a great amount of the uh, the nonsense that uh, that the world is is pushing. Uh, I can't remember who it was that told me this story. It, might, it may have been Doug Wilson. He didn't tell me to, to me, but I may have heard it from him. Um, but it was uh, the story goes that in in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, the new St. Andrews, um, there was a teacher from new St. Andrews that was debating a university of Idaho teacher and they were, they were debating, um, evolution and they did it on the university of Idaho's campus. And, um, the NSA students are there and the U of I students are there and they're each on one side of the room. And the evolutionist asks the, the crowd, how many of you guys have read Darwin's origin of species? And, all of the NSA kids put their hands up, the New St. Andrews kids put their hands up, and none of the U of I students put their hands up because they all believed Darwinian evolution, uh, but had never read it. And the, the, the New St. Andrews kids had all read Darwin's uh, Origin of Species, but they didn't believe it. Um, and that was because the, the, the NSA and their parents and whatnot, they were, they were not letting the world teach their children about itself they were teaching them about how the world works and they were inoculating them to the nonsense of evolution by, by letting them come to this text, this very famous text, uh, origin of species and showing them why it was wrong and not just letting the world corrupt, corrupt the mind. So all this to say is like with family worship, don't sabotage the work that you're doing in 24 seven worship by letting undue influences from TV uh, movies, music, smartphones—those kinds of things. Um, th- there's a great, um, there, there. I should say there was. This is just a practical example for the kind of standards that the Stouts have. Um, we don't watch a lot of new stuff, um, although I'm not opposed to watching new stuff. But there was a, uh, there's a new, um, fairly new within the last few years, on um, uh, thing on Amazon Prime. It's a TV show on Amazon Prime, uh, it's, and it's based on, it's the life of James Harriet. I think it's called, um, all things, I can't remember. It's all things bright and beautiful or all things. It's like, uh, anyways, the James Harriet, um, the James Harriet show on, um, Pro, Amazon prime starts off and it's very charming, uh, and it's very, um, good. And you know, it's not Christian. James Harriet was a very strong Christian. It's not Christian, but it's, 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 it's family. It's very family friendly. And I told my kids after the second show because they loved it. I said, kids, I want you to know that this show is going to break your heart because they are going to quickly devolve. I'd never seen it, but they are going to quickly devolve into sexual degeneracy. That's just the way these TV shows work. And sure enough, by the end of the first season, um, it it had gone. It was starting to head that way. And by the beginning of the second season, it was... It was just everybody was kind of hooking up with everybody. So they kind of, they kind of took 21st century moral standards and put them into 1940s uh, England. And so we stopped watching it. In the, in, and I told, told the kids, we knew this was going to happen, but this is not the kind of thing that we want to watch, even though it wasn't sexually explicit. We don't want to, to watch this kind of thing and think that this is in any way normal behavior because this is the kind of behavior that, that God actually hates, Ah, uh, he hates this kind of sin. and so, so now that is that is uh, a, an example of you know different standards households are going to have to figure this out in their own way in different ways. But that is a standard that we've kind of set for ourselves that you know we want we don't want to sabotage the work that we're doing with our kids. By introducing worldly standards that the world would think are very tame, the world would think they're benign, but in fact they're in, they're incredibly um, insidious in breaking down um, the the kind of soul protection that we want to give our kids. Um, so hmm. so those are so, two big two big kind of first principles. Number one um, is cultivate your loves, cultivate your hatreds, so that you can actually pass them down, uh, and then don't don't sabotage yourself before you even get off, get out of the starting gate, or if you have been sabotaging yourself, just make a break, make a break from it. There, there is, n- there is nothing like, um, today to, um, f- uh, there's nothing like the present for, for a fresh start. So, um, yeah, unless you have anything I've, to add to that, I Aaron, to- I will just continue to go into the, w- what our actual family worship looks like when, when we talk about dedicated family worship.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of the things I was just going to add is, uh, the Bible is a very long, complicated, um, explicit, in, in, the, in a certain sense, book with the stories it tells. And yet it's given in a medium that is, appro- that is appropriate for children to hear, not see. So you hear many like, things yes. about wars and battles and adultery and polygamy and all sorts of very illicit, immoral things. And that is the mode in which God intended us to learn. Not, he doesn't want us to have to learn that polygamy is bad by having two wives, right? He wants you to observe, hey, anytime anyone has more than one wife, it goes really, really bad. Um, and th- this is the principle of Proverbs. You can learn by hearing. This is why he's caught con- the, the dad. Solomon is always saying, hear, listen, listen. This is why the first command in the Shema is here. So there's a certain um, the medium is important, and it is uh, sp- specifically when it comes to scripture, the mode is hearing. Children mm-hmm. are in, um, intended; we are all intended to hear the word, hear these stories, and um, you you know you read through First and Second Samuel, or just the story of Israel's history. And the plots, the complicated motives, the interpersonal sins that happen are going to be just like um, what people are going to what you're going to see out in the world. But it's the inspired word of God. So you can talk about some of the moral problems, the immorality, all of these things using the Bible and giving your children these types and these stereotypes. So like that's a Jezebel, you know, that's an Mm -hmm. Ahab. That's a that's a Moses, that's a David. That's a bad David moment. You want your children to interpret the world using Bible categories rather than the world's categories. And this is where as you're doing it with your children, you're going to learn so much more about the Bible reading it to your kids, teaching it to your kids, mm-hmm. answering their perpetual questions. So you know, I'm reading I'm reading the David story to to James O. He he just He wants to read about David and Saul, but you know, my son is three and a half and he really only has two categories in his mind for morality, good and bad. So is Saul good or is Saul bad? Is David good or is David bad? So I constantly now with some of these complicated characters. So this morning we were reading about Abner is Abner good or bad. And I'm like, well, This is is a really hard question to ask because he's sometimes good and he's sometimes bad. And that's how I have to answer a lot of these questions right now. But as he gets older and as your children are much older, um, they are going to have a far more discerning sense of good and bad and be able to make distinctions, which is what the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is. It's the ability to distinguish, make those very fine distinctions to say, well, when Abner wanted to bring the kingdom to David, that was good. But him sleeping with Ishbosheth's concubine, well, that was bad. Um, You've got to make those distinctions for your children. And the more that they can do that, then they can look and they can filter the world and say, beaches are good. Naked ladies at the beach, bad. Um, water park, good. Uh, people smoking pot in the parking lot, bad. So this is where I I think the Bible is this very exciting story that is meant to give us nourishment. And then you really can actually talk about uh, these things all day long when you're standing up, when you're rising down, when you're driving in the car, because they're just the world you inhabit is now the biblical story. And that actually brings you peace. It gives you joy, gives you hope to know that God is the one telling this story and he's telling the current story. Uh, we're living in now.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. And and it's why, you know, it's why uh, we really have to use such tremendous wisdom living in the technical technological age that we do, where visual media is so it's just the standard of communication, because that's not been the way it's been, it's, it has not been a standard of communication for ev- forever, except until now. Um, and so that's, That's why you might think I'm extreme for not letting my kids watch the Veggie Tales or Veggie Tales, but Veggie Tales are, I don't want them to think King David is is an asparagus because King David is so much better (laughs) than an asparagus. Uh, I don't want my kids watching The Chosen. All of its bad, even if all of its bad theology was good theology and it was very faithful to the text, uh, you know, when you get those visual representations in such an intimate way as a movie, um, our brains have a very difficult time actually. Uh Psych 101, you take a Psych 101 class, they will tell you that your brain actually cannot tell the difference between um, a movie and real life, except for you continually tell yourself it's not real. You know, you have to continually remind yourself it's not real. Um and so you just have to be very careful what kind of visual mediums you allow into the mind of your children and of course of yourself as well. So um okay, so how to do dedicated family worship. So if we have this um uh so Joe, Joe Rigney says you have this um God directed or you know your are direct directed yourself um what is it god directed and indirect, is that right?
0: Uh indirect godwardness and direct godwardness. godwardness. Yep. And this okay, is in so, his book uh, Strangely Bright, which is a really excellent short book everyone should read. Yeah. Oh uh, Elizabeth just read that
1: and she was she was raving about it. So um, so, in your indirect Godwardness, you just need to always be ready to, an- to give a to give a to give an answer for the hope that you have. Okay, so that's just a, the verse that you need to have in your back pocket. Always be ready to give an answer to your children for the hope that you have, because they're going to come to you with questions um, at the most inconvenient times <laughs> when you're trying to get them to go to bed. Especially when they get older, that's going to be the time that they're going to be like, "I want to talk about this thing." and and maybe they don't want to go to bed, but but it also is like this. <laughs> somebody made a uh, somebody made a great analogy. They said, Im- "Imagine you're you're 80 years old, um, and you had the opportunity as as an 80 year old to go back in time to one of the evenings that uh, in your household of putting your kids to bed. How would you treat that time of putting your kids to bed if you had the opportunity as an 80 year old? Your kids are grown and gone." to come back and just one more night, give your kids uh, the bedtime ritual. And I think we could all say, even if we're not 80, that we would probably treat it a lot more preciously than the day in and day out of putting the kids to bed all the time. Um, but, the, but the point is, is that we always need to be ready to give our children an answer for the hope that we have. So when they bring their questions to us, that's, that's indirect um, or that's, yeah, that's non-dedicated family worship time. Okay, but dedicated family worship time would be the time that you all gather um, to sing and pray and read God's word and that kind of thing. So so always be ready. Um, They're going to pick some inconvenient times, but be ready anyways. But what we do for dedicated family worship in our house um, is we have two um, main times that we have family worship. Uh, It's in the morning and in the evening. We, we, We call it because the kids love having kids just love having names for things. We call it Matins and Vespers. That's just a historic, uh, if you follow the canonical hours, Matins is um, Matins is kind of done in the morning. Vespers is done in the evening. Uh, in the, and that's helpful. You don't have to call it that. That's what we call it. Um, but Matins goes like this. Um, well, actually, before we do that, um, just if you just want to just start with one, just one time of dedicated family worship, um, follow this chiasm, okay? A chiasm starts, reaches a point, and then it follows the, it follows the way out that it came in. Um, so start with prayer, sing something, read God's word, sing something, end with prayer. It can be as simple as that. You pray, you sing, you read God's word, you sing, and you pray. And, and include everybody, you know, include the children when you're doing this. Include, if it's just you and your wife, include your wife in this as well. Um, but that would be just a very simple blueprint to start pray, sing, read God's word, sing, and discuss, sing, and then end with prayer. Um, so in the Stout House, the way we do Matins um, is right now we're going through the book of Acts. Uh, and so mostly the kids are listening to me read to them. But our, uh, but that's actually something that's fairly new. What we normally do is we pick the daily proverb, uh, whatever the day of the month is. Um, and all of my kids have one of these. Um, it's... It's, it's published by Crossway and it's just, it's just Proverbs. That's all it is. Um, I, w- I wish they had, I'm kind of a, I'm a KJV, new King James guy, but, but ESV is not, not too, not, not ESV not terrible. But the thing is, is that everybody, including Alice, who's two has their own Proverbs. Okay. Uh, they all, they all turn to the Proverbs of the day. Um, the big kids help the little kids. Uh, and then we go around the room and we read one of the proverbs, or maybe the better readers read four of the proverbs. Um, um, and for the ones that can't read, one of the older kids who can read will will say two or three words, and then, then that little kid will repeat it. And <laughs> we will either do a third of the proverb or all of the proverb. But every day we're getting part of the that we're getting in we're getting into the book of proverbs. One of the things I do practically to make sure that we're catching all of it is. I'll try to make sure if we're not going to do the whole proverb um, to to kind of have an idea of where we were last month. So we don't only do the first 10 verses of the proverb, but we're doing the first 10 one month, the second 10 another month and the third 10 uh, the third month. Um, That's just a really great way that the I mean, what little kid doesn't want their own book um, with their name inside it? This one actually says, uh, George, because before we had our 10th and we named him Henry, he, we, we all just called him George. So even the baby before he was born had his own, <laughs> but, but this, but this gives them like that excitement of we got to do matins and why haven't we sat down and, and, and we always also do it before breakfast, uh, because that gives them, uh, that also gives them an urgency because they're hungry in the morning. Like, well, we got to do matins before we can eat. Um, uh, and so then what we do is we will I'll ask someone I'll ask someone to offer a prayer of illumination and that prayer of illumination is just basically God we're coming we're coming to your word um, teach us what we're supposed to be what we're supposed to learn and help us to not be unchanged by it um, so we're asking for the the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit as we read this word um, and then, what we do when we're, when we're finished reading this is I ask my kids, Hey, was there any particular proverb that was interesting or that you had a question on or that you feel like was convicting? Um, and they do, they always will. Uh, but if they don't, um, uh, then I, then I make sure as we're reading through, I've got a couple that I'm going to highlight and I'm going to make sure that this is, and I give them, I give them the application for the day. Like this Proverb right here, you know, um, let another praise you and not, uh, uh and, uh, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Um, that means that you, n- you cannot be boasting about your abilities. If God has given you good abilities, let someone else praise you for those things. Uh, and then we might be able to give an example for how they can be watching that. And, uh, and, um, uh, and then we, we generally end our matins with, uh, with the prayer of blessing for the day, supplication for anything that we need prayer for. Um, We don't always sing because it's oftentimes, you know, 6.15, 6.30 in the morning. So we're not always, there might be babies sleeping. We're not always singing, but oftentimes we'll end with the Lord's prayer, singing the Lord's prayer. We're doing some kind of singing, um, but you don't have to. You don't have to sing every time. It's just, why would you not want to? (laughs) Why would you not want to sing all the time? Um, Vespers in our house um, is generally done immediately following dinner. Um, uh, and I will read to them from the Bible. Uh, we just actually, uh, finished going through second Samuel. Uh, and you, you were talking about is, is Abner a good character or a bad character? It's like, there was, we had so many interesting conversations about Joab <laughs> and all the mm. different things, you know, the ways in which Joab was so crafty and, and he was a bad guy but he actually would do th- good things sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and David was the good guy. And yet David would do these self-destructive things and Joab would save him. And um, But so following dinner, I read to them from the Bible. Um, we talk about what the passage means. Again, um, where where there's application, we apply it. Um, we generally always will sing at some point. Um, and then um, in this, I believe this comes from Deuteronomy 26. Um, God tells the Israelites, you're going to be inheriting a land um, that has wells you did not dig and um, vineyards you did not plant and houses you did not build. And, and and he says, when you have eaten and you are satisfied, do not forget to thank the Lord for the goodness that he has bestowed upon you. Don't forget the Lord just because you're full. Everybody should pray before they eat because they're hungry. But you should also thank the Lord for the food that you've already eaten because you're no longer full, you're no longer hungry because God um, because God in His goodness has blessed you with plenty, um, and so we always end our vespers, uh, which generally happens at the dinner table. We always end our vespers with a prayer of thanksgiving for the food we've eaten uh, and the way it nourishes our body, and the and the, for the food we've eaten because God's word is our food and the way it nourishes our soul, um, and. And then um, those are the two kind of main types of um, dedicate, kind of dedicated. Ho- all the family is together. Um, um, family worship. I have a couple other kind of uh, auxiliary family worship, uh, bedtime liturgy, what our spanking liturgy looks like, which I can get to, get into as well. Uh, but those are more kind of on an individual. Uh, the liturgy between my wife and I and our Bible reading together. Um, but if I didn't know if you wanted to, to add anything there to the dedicated, the whole families together type, uh, family worship, Aaron.
0: Yeah. So Joe, that is highly structured. And so for people who might be watching this and don't know, so you've got now 10 children. So as children increase structure becomes even more and more essential, right? Just, um, if, if you just have one child and you're starting off, um, I would suggest you probably don't need as much formality as you will when you have four kids or, or more. And so th- this is just a rule about how human beings work, or it's like, if it's just yourself, um, Hey, if you want to sing one song or you want to sing 10 songs, you can sing as much as you want. Uh, cause it's just you. So there's this kind of, um, con- uh, one of the things I've noticed. So I only have, uh, two plus one coming, so, when it was just James O as a one year old, we just knew, hey, we want to have this habit of family worship. And it's like he can't sing anything right now, but we would read the Bible to him. And I know, like, he doesn't understand everything that's happening, but he recognizes that there is a time, a consecrated time, a set apart time for when I'm apparently, uh, you know, in his mind, I am standing with a book reading to him and it's different from anything else that gets done. But also he recognizes this is kind of like something we do once a week is we're standing and there's a guy and he's reading something and we're all solemnly listening. And so, you know, in a one-year-old's mind uh, you're not expecting them to be able to memorize and interact with you and all of that stuff, but they do know there is a certain time where we, uh, a lot of family worship for us has been actually just practicing for Sunday to try to sit still for a little more than five minutes. And so um, we kind of, it's hard to parent children in the pew, um, and, and more so for us because it's like I'm up there, you're up there a lot of the time for when you often would be in the pew with your kids and can say, all right, we need to stand, we need to sit. So like we would um, spend a lot of time having to just like we put a chair out, We set a timer or the practice for family worship is um, I have very low expectations for what spiritual growth is going to be based on this. And that really helps you to just be like, hey, the the goal is this is practice for Sunday and that he can sit still for a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And I think um, it's very easy to become overwhelmed or feel like I need to conduct a full worship service each day when really what, um, you know, keep it as simple, short, and as joyful as possible. That's what, if you've never done family worship before, I would, I would encourage you start with something like this simple, pray the Lord's prayer together and sing the doxology. Um, or, you know, read one prop, not just a chapter of Proverbs, like just read like one actual proverb, pray together And your goal should be getting your children and getting yourself and your wife, first and foremost, to treat that as something you want to do. It's the get to, not the got to. And like that is the real goal is you're shaping their affections to uh, when dad says, all right, it's time for matins or it's time for family worship. They're not going, oh, they're saying, yay, they're excited. And so I would start and, and measure things based on, is this something that we can joyfully do together and consistently? And I would start um, with as simple and short of a family worship as you can. And then you want them to be saying, can we sing another? Let's read another chapter. Let's do more. And that's really when you know that you're doing it right. And um, uh, that would be my measurable gauge for like, how am I doing in, in leading the home? Uh, so like lately, uh, uh, so my wife can play the piano and my children can make loud noises with tambourines and stuff. And so, uh, we're trying to get them to learn to sing songs, but also, uh, sometimes we just make a joyful noise and it is not a skillful noise. It's just noise. So if we'll, we'll, Ellen will play the piano and I'll say, all right, you can, each get an instrument. And so both James and Shiloh get tambourines or a drums or something. But the whole point is I just want them to enjoy this time with their dad and their mom making a loud noise to the Lord and it being a raucous, joyful time. And that's not every day. Some days we just need to practice our singing. And sometimes there's spankings because there's bad attitudes. But it's like, that's the goal. Yeah. The goal is I want to have to spank them and discipline them in home in the home rather than always having to do it on Sunday, which often you also still have to do it on, on Sundays too. But you're getting the practice, you're getting the practice, you're getting the practice so that on the Lord's Day, when we're gathered together with the full congregation, they already kind of have been doing this five, six days a week um, anyways. So worship just becomes a normal pattern in their life. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says habit takes on the form of nature. Habit takes on the form of nature. So there's all those debates about what's nurture, what's nature and et cetera. And it's like things that you do habitually perpetually become a part of who you are for good or ill. And so you're shaping a soul. You're crafting a soul when you're just doing something every single day consistently. It's the bedtime routine It's the dinner routine. It's the worship routine. You're forming a soul and the habits of their life. And, um, you know, if God saves you late in life after you have really a bunch of bad habits, you're just going to be, you know, at a worse starting place. You can make forward progress, but you might be doing things more so for the next generation. (laughs) Uh, So to give one example, and then I'll, I'll hand it off to you to talk about other liturgies is, so my wife... And her five sisters are all very musically gifted and inclined. They all can sing and were forced to take piano lessons and do all this stuff. And her parents um, are not musicians. They would not ever say we're good singers or even necessarily like like to sing. But they knew, trusting God's word, that this was something that they ought to do. So a lot of husbands, fathers, or women, it's like, God has not gifted me with a good voice to sing. Well, welcome to the club. That is a lot of us. And yet we know that we're supposed to sing. We're supposed to um, praise God. uh, And uh, Lord willing, if you can be the stepping stone for your children and grandchildren to say, well, hey, we might not be able to do this well, but you can go get lessons from someone else. Or we're just going to try to sing. And the kids are going to be singing better than the parents. Um, that's good. That's the goal. You know, I'm not a great singer by any means, but I hope that just singing loudly and trying to sing a little better will eventually help my sons and my children to be able to do that much more skillfully when they eventually go to school and do that so that their kids and my grandchildren are the ones who are singing way better than than I, because we took these small steps of faithfulness now. So that's like, have the long view, have the a hundred year, the 500 year view in mind as you're doing these daily routines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that really is excellent. And, and, you know, I, I do have uh, a, a busy chaotic house. Some of my, uh, some of what I'm describing here is more aspirational. We don't always get to it. Um, you should have a, you should have high standards, and then you should hold those high standards in a very open hand, and never let your standards rob anyone, including yourself, of the joy of family worship. Um, so, like this morning. We had, we read two Psalms. That was it for our family worship. Uh, we just, we just, there was kids studying for tests and, and we just didn't have the time to do a whole chapter of Proverbs. And so we, we had, it, our family worship took like four minutes th- this morning, just because of the, the, because of the time and the way that goes. So, um, so yeah, definitely um, set, set. Lofty goals, lofty ideals, those are good, um, but but then hold them in a hand that is willing to um, roll, you know, God is a tender father, Psalm, Psalm 104, he knows our frame, he knows we're but dust. Well, know your children's frame and, and that one and a half hour uh, family liturgy you wanted to do, you know, give give them something that's going to bring them more joy. And um, I'll give you a little, uh, an ingenious uh, idea that I stole from somebody else um, which was if you have little ones and you're teaching them to sit still, have them sit on the floor uh, cross-legged and put an M&M or a marshmallow or a Skittle on one of their knees and tell them that if they can sit still enough that the M&M doesn't fall off of their knee, that when you're done reading this psalm or you're done, um, you're done singing the song or whatever it is, um, that they'll get another one on their other knee. Uh, and then you'll do one other thing. And then if they can keep them from falling off, then they get to eat them. Um, or, and then if they fall off, you say, you, you're going to eat them. Or, or then it falls off and you go to eat it, but then you say, I'm going to have, I'll have mercy on you. You can try again. <laughs> and it, it, it honestly, with all of my kids, it has done, it's been miraculous to just have a little marshmallow on the knee because, yeah, they're pretty focused on the marshmallow sometimes, but they're also focused on what it takes to actually sit still. And it gets into their brain that when dad's reading God's word, I'm quiet. Uh, these are the very words of God. And so I want to be reverent when God's word is being read because it's not like any other word out there. It is the very word of God. Um, So I Mm. I love what you're saying there. Some of the other things that we, we do for that, that our liturgies um, is you have a bedtime liturgy. Every family does. um, And this is a time when, um, uh, dads especially, uh, you have an opportunity to have individual one-on-one face-to-face time with your children. Um, Depending on how many kids you have, uh, it's going to be shorter or or longer. Um, But this is a time where uh, I always try to make it a habit, especially with the younger ones, of always laying my hand upon their forehead and actually giving them a blessing. Uh, the blessing might be Psalm one twenty one. It might be the number six ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. But but like you're the father, uh, mothers can do this too, of course. But you're the father, and blessings should flow from you as they flow from your father in, that is in heaven. Um, and so don't don't forget that your bedtime is you you are you are actually committing them. Uh, it's every time we go to sleep, it's like a little death, right? And there's a little resurrection in the morning. And so be with your children when they enter into, um, the, uh, the, the, land of dreams and give them, um, the, the blessing of Christ, uh, before they do that. Um, that's where, um, you can always sing with them. If you just have a one or two, you can, you can have songs that you guys just sing, just the two of you for, uh, for my mom and I, when I was a kid and she would, she would be the one. Her and I would be singing together. Um, we had a few songs that we would sing. Uh, I think one of them was um, Silent Night. Didn't matter if it was near Christmas or not. We would always sing Silent Night. Um, but but the bedtime liturgy is a wonderful time to to not miss um, and and to be to be um, very deliberate in what it is you want your kid thinking about as they as they fall asleep. Um, another one is, is spanking. Um, you should be spanking. Uh, if you're not convinced that you should spank your kids, uh, we'll, maybe Aaron and I can do another, uh, another, another, uh, talk on that, um, I, whether or not you're convinced you should spank or not, which I say you should, you definitely must, um, bear the rod of authority. Um, so the rod, uh, you must bear that rod. It's a rod of authority. And so you must be the one, um, uh, directing your kids in the way that they should go. Um, so when we do go go through our spanking liturgy, um, we always uh, make sure that we follow a very similar pattern. And I've got many kids that are too old to spank, so so they never get this liturgy anymore. But they got it over and over and over again. And we uh, always make the case of of bringing the whole trin- the whole Trinitarian Godhead to them. So so um, the reason why you got a spank was because you sinned against God, um, and God hates sin. Um, God is God is sad when you sin. And so he sent Jesus to you so Jesus could save you from your sin. And Jesus promised that that if you believed in him, that he would send you a helper that would live inside your heart and that would keep you from doing those bad things. Um, And then of course, if they sinned against um, me or my wife, then they need to apologize directly to us. But then we remind them that sin is, Psalm 51, sin is primarily against God and so that is who we need to go and we need to confess our sin to. And so we confess our sin to God. We ask him for forgiveness. And then as soon as they open their eyes, I look at, look at them. I usually take their cheeks. and I look them right in the eyes. And I say, that is the gospel. That is the gospel, Josephine. Jesus died to save sinners just like you, just like me. Um, and then I always make sure at the end of the liturgy, I, I ask them, you know, before the spanking, I always say, why, why are you getting the spank? What did you do? Uh, so they understand. But then when it's over, I always ask them again, why did I spank you? And they know to answer because you love me. They know to answer because you love me so that they are never thinking that the rod of authority, the rod of discipline that I'm wielding is being wielded in any way, um, anger, in anger or in um, um, in punishment it's not punishment it's discipline it's discipline because that that child is loved by you and you are representing the love of God to them um, and so you need to make sure that you're you're doing that so that they're always they always know that they are more loved after the spank than they even were before they always feel more loved when 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 the when the reunion has happened and the, the sin has been dealt with and it's been confessed and um, there's just a tremendous Opportunity for family worship there. Um, my wife and so does I. Does the uh,
0: spanking? Yeah. Does the spanking happen before or after the confession of sin? Um,
1: what we do, what generally what we do is um, we the, the spanking happens right away. Um, in I the the my my reason for doing the spanking right away is depending on how old they are. I don't want them to forget. Why they're getting the spank, and I want them to connect the the right. whatever the whatever the naughtiness was um, with the with the pain of that um, discipline. And then after that's done, and I've held them and they've cried, and and then I I, I generally will tell them, okay, it's time to be done crying. It's time to get self control now. Um, you've had a good cry, and, and now let's let's deal with the sin. Um, but because you've sinned against you've sinned against someone, but mostly you've sinned against God.
0: Okay. Thanks. Yeah. I've, I've noticed this. Um, I I imagine as my children get older, there are times uh, when they do have that retention of memory and you could, you could say when they're older, Hey, um, you know what you did? Let's confess our sins. And then they, in a very self-controlled way can take it like a man and Hey, this is the discipline. Mm -hmm. Um, However, at least my kids are not that self-controlled yet. So it's like, I want the spanking to come as quickly as possible yeah. to sh- snap them out of it so yeah. that then they can come to themselves and, and they have an ear to hear rather than the bargaining for fewer spanks or no, 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 no. You just want that terror to be over as quickly as possible. Right. Cause I, I think we all know it's the waiting for the punishment for the pain that is almost worse than the pain itself. Yes. And so this is where like, you want to be merciful with, um, it's not merciful to prolong the duration of the the pain. You want it to come quick and then do the, the restoration. But then I think as they get older, this is kind of also how God works. Uh, when you're an adult, often the pain doesn't come for years. And yet when it comes, it's devastating in a way that, you wish there was quicker, shorter pain points yeah. along the way to prevent you from ever getting there. So as right. they get older, it seems like the discipline kind of adjusts.
1: Absolutely. No, nope. you're, you're, you're hundred percent right there. And, um, in in I, I don't actually even think it would be, you know, if you have a six or seven year old boy who's disrespected his mother, I don't think it would be, uh, unkind to say, okay, you know what happens when you when you disrespect mom. Uh, I need you to go in the bathroom and, and wait for dad. And I don't think it would be unkind to make him sweat it out a bit, um, because he yeah. knows it's coming, and he needs to be he needs to learn courage. Even though um, pain is, you know, even though he's kind of he's bought himself some pain, um, but I do think with the younger ones, you want the, you do want that that very that very close association with disobedience, pain, disobedience, pain. And, and that's what, that's one of the reasons not to, not to go down the track, but this is why parents need to spank because it's the way you communicate. Um, Doug Wilson once said that um, the reason why we spank is, is the same is, is you want to create in your children that same feeling they have when they fall out of a tree, if they fall out of a tree and they get hurt, what do they want? They want mom, they want dad. And so you're kind of artificially recreating this kind of crisis in their life where there's pain, dad's there to comfort them, mom's there to comfort them, and you can actually offer them hope in the midst of that. And then relationship can be inst- pretty much instantly re- you know, reestablished. Whereas if you do timeouts or you do go sit in the corner or go to your room or you're grounded, then you've taken the, the, the disfellowship that comes from sin and you've just extended the timeline, um, oftentimes unnecessarily, to where the kid's not even really thinking about it anymore, um, but you're still mad at them because, you know, how could they do that? And <laughs> it's just better for everybody if you just get it over with, at least in the younger years, um, because if you wait till the, till the older years to start enforcing these kinds of things, it's going to be a nightmare. So, so your younger years is the best time. To, to establish the authority structures of mom and dad and the fact that God has established that authority structure. And uh, if, if you value your soul, you will obey what God has said in the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. Um, and if you don't, then we are here as your faithful shepherds to lovingly correct you and bring you back onto the path. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just better to do it and get it over with and get back into fellowship as, as quickly as you
0: can. Um, Good. Well, any final I would thoughts also, before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was also going to say that, um, or the, fun, the thing I was going to end with was uh, um, that, you know, tying this back to us, us, God, God condescending to us so that we can be his counselors. Um, what it, when is the best time to start family worship? Well, um, depending, on the, depending on where you are in life, um, it might be like, what's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 15 years ago. But the second best time to plant a tree is today. Uh, and so this, the, if, if, you, if this is something you haven't been doing, um, start now. And, I, in, and in Genesis 17, um, God is talking to Abraham and he's telling them, this man who's 100 years old, you are going to have a son from Sarah. You're going to have a son from Sarah. And Abraham laughs and he says in his heart, I'm, I'm an old man. My wife's an old, my, my wife's an old woman. Just, Lord, please let Ishmael. Let him inherit the covenant. May he, may he live before you. And God says, no, no, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep it that, that Sarah is going to be the one that this, um, that this promise is going to be uh, through Isaac. But he says this uh, in uh, Genesis 17. He says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. God's already promised that 20 plus years ago. He's just reestablishing to Abraham. This is going to be, I said I was going to do this and I'm going to do this. He says, "And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him este- uh, exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year." So, Isaac's like or excuse me, Ishmael's like about 13 years old right now, and Abraham's just saying, "God, just just make the covenant be with him." And God says, no, I'm going to do what I originally said, but I've heard you and I'll bless, I'll bless Ishmael too. I'll make him a great nation as well because you have asked me to do that and I will bless you with that. So if your kids are older, like God, remember, you, in, the, in the way that we were talking about earlier, you're greater than Abraham. You, you have God's ear in a way that Abraham never had God's ear because you actually have the Holy Spirit. And so if you come to the, to the Lord, to, um, on behalf of your children, um, God will listen to you and, and he will bless the fruit of your hands, even if you're starting later in life. And if, and if you haven't started yet and you're just getting married or you just have, uh, your kids are very young, start now. This is the best time to start. You cannot start too early. Um, and, and the, the the final thing I'll end with is just, just don't be too prideful um, don 't be prideful, just copy from other parents what 's worked what works. everything I just talked about today is just things i 've copied from somebody else that 's how people learn we we there 's nothing new under the sun, so just just find a family that has kids that you want your kids to be like and just find out what they do and just copy them um don't don't try to don't try to be um, Mr. or Mrs. original. This is this, this is no place for experimentation. <laughs> Just go with what works in other families and, and do it for yourself. And, and then, of course, yeah, steep yourself in the word, love what is good, hate what is evil, uh, and and then be like Abraham in Genesis 15. Believe
0: the Lord and God will credit that to you as righteousness. Hmm. Very good. Well, uh, church, we love you. If uh, there are topics or questions that you have based on this that you want us to you know, record or, um, address in a future conversation, you know, send me an email, uh, let Joe or I know on Sunday. And I hope this uh, was a blessing to you. All right.